Well, welcome to week number two of Redemption Church, our new new name, same church. Not a whole lot has changed in the reality of it. Um, I hope you can see the consistency. We've, we've changed the way we say a few things. Um, these two gray pillars in the middle, uh, the things that we stand for, that's we call redemption, culture, fervent prayer, bold preaching, passionate worship, purposeful disciple making, courageous evangelism, and strategic church planning. Um, but this this remainder of the summary, we want, to, we want to focus on this blue banner, it's what we call redemption life. This is who we are as individuals, as part of the church here. This is what we see as a healthy disciple, um, abide in Christ, grow in the church, reach the community. Um, this is our second week looking at this idea of abide. What does it mean to abide in Christ? It's such a rich, rich topic. Um, we looked last week at John 15, 1-6. The importance of abiding in Christ. If you remember, we broke that passage down and saw that it comes as a warning and a promise. The warning is Jesus' warning. Whoever doesn't bear fruit is simply not my disciple. Whoever does not have this living evidence in them, in their lives, of this this transformed life to be gathered up like dead branches and, and thrown into the fire, it's a stark warning of hell. But the promise... The promise is that Jesus is the true vine. Jesus is the the fulfillment, if you remember, of everything that Israel was meant to be as the true vine that does produce fruit. And the promise is that everyone who is vitally connected to him will bear fruit, will have that transformed life. And so the call here, the command is not bear fruit It's abide in Christ, to stay connected to Jesus, remain in Him, rest in Him. Whoever rests in Him will produce fruit, evidence of that that grace-transformed life. Yeah, I want to spend another week looking at this idea of abide, because if you're like me, you have a hard time wrapping your head around this whole idea, and, and I think we wonder, what what does it look like? How do I actually do that. It's my suspicion if you, maybe if you grew up like I did, uh, going to church since roughly nine months before you were born, uh, in church every Sunday, every Wednesday prayer meeting, knew all the right church lingo, or, or maybe you grew up with no access to the church, never darkened the door of the church. I think we all come to this phrase and wonder, abide in Christ. And we think, yeah, that sounds good. Abide in Christ. That's, that's what I need to do. I need to abide more. This week is going to be different. This week I'm going to abide in Christ more. And then we wake up Monday morning and how do I do it? What does that, what does that look like? Maybe if, maybe if I just, how, how do I abide? So abide, I remember John said something, abide means like stay and, and rest. So I need, to, I need to work harder at resting more. How do we do that? We think of abide in Christ as something kind of magical, mystical. Uh, it's this supernatural thing. And, and let's be clear, it is supernatural. There is a, a mystical element to this reality. A, a real, vital, life-giving connection to Jesus that you can't see, you can't touch. But that's part of abiding in Christ. It's not our part of abiding in Christ. That's not what Jesus is asking us to do. And it's a good thing because we're helpless in that realm, right? 
Um, that's a, a supernatural thing. We are natural, and it is supernatural. It is above us. It's outside of our grasp, our reach. It's beyond us. So abiding in Christ is supernatural, but it's not only supernatural. There's some very real, natural things that we do to abide in Christ. Maybe think of it like drinking from a spring in the ground. I don't have any ability to start or stop that spring. I have no control over that spring. I don't know where that water comes from and what causes it to bubble up. It, it doesn't come at my bidding or go when I leave. I also have no control. I have no understanding, if I'm honest, of how that water nourishes me, what it does in my body. Once it's past my lips, why does it make me feel better? What happens to those molecules in my body that gives me strength and life? I don't know. I don't understand it. I don't control it. And yet, what I do know, what I do understand how to do is to get a cup and to go to the spring and to fill the cup and to drink deeply, how to stay near the spring, how to get a bigger cup if I need a bigger cup. Maybe it's not a perfect analogy, but I think there's some, some parallels there. So today we're looking at Jesus' kind of more practical advice as we continue on in John 15. This is how to fill your cup. This is how to drink deeply at the fountain of Christ. This is how you abide in Christ and how you come to this, this fountain. So turn with me to John 15. If you don't have a Bible with you, go ahead and just slip up your hand. One of our ushers will get one to you. We want you to have God's Word open on your lap. Um, I, I hate to break it to you. I have nothing for you this morning. Uh, I, I'm useless here. My, my goal is to say nothing other than what Christ has said, um, that His words would be forefront, not mine. Uh, and so I want you to see that on the page. Um, let me read for us John 15. We're going to start in verse 7 where we left off. Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Verses 7 and 8, we see first that abiding in Christ is rooted in the word and prayer. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. That's significant. There's a, there's a connection here, a direct connection between abiding in Christ or Christ abiding in us and his words abiding in us. If you remember back to the, the Armor of God uh, series, um, particularly the, the Sword of the Spirit, which is what? Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of Truth, the Word of God. We did a little Greek study lesson there, and, uh, and I thought it was helpful, and, and, it, and it's the, help, the, the, the same word here again. Um, there are two Greek words for the word word, um, if that's not confusing enough. Um, there's logos, which is the word on this kind of grand scale. That's the most common word used, and it speaks of uh, the word of God, the logic of God, the mind of God. Um, 
And so we, we hold up the Bible and say, this is the word of God. This is his word to us, start to finish. But if you remember, Paul uses a different word, the, the sword of the spirit. It's not the word that he uses uh, earlier. It's not logos. It's another word. It's the same word he uses here in John 15. There's a tip off in the ESV. Jesus says, my words with an S. And, and I think that's a Decent translation. It kind of points our heads in the right direction. The other Greek word, the one that's used here and in the armor of God is, is hremata. The Greek has no problem putting HR together for some reason. We think it's odd, but they don't. Uh, hremata. And, and the idea is that like sayings or my teachings. It's speaking of, of individual commands rather than the whole of God's word. So you could say the the word of God, the the logos of God is the aggregates, the the compilation of all of the words, the hremata of God. That's what the sword of the Spirit is. It's not necessarily swinging the whole Bible, but carefully and precisely applying specific passages of Scripture. As I'm attacked by the sin of of, of anxiety and doubt, I I go to Philippians and and I quote myself that that scripture don't be anxious about anything it's specific use of the words of God John 15 you'll notice if you go back up to to verse 3 he says you are clean because the word that's logos the word that I've spoken to you it's it's the word on the larger scale you're clean because of the gospel this great body of truth but here he's talking uh, more specifically he says then that abiding in him is connected to his words, his ramata abiding in us. And abide in Christ, get his words abiding in you. And I think this is helpful. I think this is key because we love to say, yes, I trust the Bible. Absolutely, I believe the Bible. And here is Jesus is not saying the word of God, but the words of God. He's saying, okay, which part? Specifically, what are you growing in right now? You're trying to live obedient to the Bible. With Which specific words of mine are you talking about? Don't, don't tell me that you're just trying to obey the Bible. You just don't know which part. I know it feels good to say I'm trying to obey all of it, and that is our, our end goal. But you can't tell me that you're simultaneously working on every single verse in this Bible. It's the old, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. We need to start with specific words of God abiding in us, rattling around in our heads. You can't obey the logos of God without obeying the hremata of God, taking specific commands. It's no good to have your Bible sitting on a shelf and saying, I appreciate that book. Maybe even better, it sits on your nightstand. Then it's nice and close. It's not good enough. We need to open it. We need to ingest it. We need to be looking at specific passages of Scripture and having Jesus' words abiding in us. So read the Bible. Read it intentionally. Have God's words, Jesus' words in your mind. Listen to sermons. Listen to sermons intentionally. Some of us have become Really good. We we are professional sermon listeners. We love listening to sermons. We're we're so good at listening to sermons that we listen to sermons for other people. And as we're listening, we think, boy, I I sure wish my husband was 
here in this. And my wife foremost, he's saying it. How come he doesn't know that? Uh, we hear it and we think of all the other people this could apply to, right? Boy, I sure wish my sister was here to, to hear that. We need to be having God's word abide in us, listening to it for our, our own benefit. Come to God's word. Read carefully. Try to walk away with particular words of God that, that matter to you today. And, and, and anytime you pick up God's word, um, you should be able to find something there that, that matters for you today. A promise that you need to be resting in. A command that you need to be obeying. A heart attitude that you need to be cultivating. An understanding of who God is that you've been missing. And make it for you. And make it specific. And then as you abide in Christ and his words are abiding in you, then and, and only then, Jesus says, ask whatever you wish and it'll be granted to you. Wow, that, that's amazing. Say that again, ask whatever you wish and it'll be granted to you. Anything. So you're telling me if I'm abiding in Christ and I'm reading the Bible and, I'm, and his words are abiding in me, I can ask for a Ferrari and it will certainly be given to me. Jesus promises it, right? Yes and no. Because if you're truly abiding in Christ and his words are abiding in you, the assumption is that your prayers are going to be formed by those words. His word abiding in your heart overflows into your prayer life. Your desires will be conformed to his desires. Does that describe your prayer life? Are they formed by the words of Christ. What you wish, what you desire then will not be a Ferrari anymore. Instead it will be holiness and obedience and fruitfulness. And we can kind of test our hearts as we stop and recognize how disappointed we are that it's not a Ferrari, it's just holiness. And we go, boy, I really undervalue that, don't I? We think that's a downgrade somehow, and it's, it's not. You can see it in verse 8. Jesus plays this out. Your prayers will be answered. Why? Because verse 8, because by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. That's why your prayers will be answered because the prayers are assumed to be about you bearing fruit, living in obedience, living in a display of the glory of God in your life. That's the prayer that, that flows out from the heart that's formed by God's words. So abiding in Christ is letting his words abide in you and then going to him in prayer shaped by his word, praying scripture back to God. Praying, oh God, help me, Psalm 16, help me to delight in you. God, help me not to be anxious about anything. Father, help me to forgive others as you in Christ have forgiven me. Work those things that I'm seeing in your word, work them in my heart. Don't just read the Bible, pray the Bible. And that's the prayer that will certainly be answered. Because that's the promise. 
back in verse 5. That's the, the promise that we looked at two weeks ago. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Don't overlook that. Don't neglect that. Lean into that promise. I was just talking with someone this last week and remembering a, a significant turning point in my heart and, and one that, if I'm honest, I have to often remind myself of. Growing up in the church, growing up reading the Bible and praying was, was a chore. It was a job to do. It was something that I deserved a, a gold star for. I, I read my Bible five days this week. Check mark. Good for me. Good work. It was a job to do. And I would pat myself on the back for it. And if I was honest, if I wanted rest, I would go to the television. If I wanted rest, I would go outside. If I wanted rest, I would, I would go some hobby or do something else. Reading the Bible, spending time in prayer, that was, that was work. That was my duty. That's what I wanted rest from. What, what a wicked lie of the devil. Now, I'm not saying that you should not enjoy relaxing outdoors. I think that's a beautiful thing. Nor am I saying that reading the Bible and spending time in prayer is easy and never work. It's often difficult. But our ultimate rest, our refreshment, the, the renewal of our life ought to be found in the Lord. Ought to be found in reading His Word, hearing from Him and, and praying to Him. That's what ought to fill us. Abide, rest, Remain in Christ as his words abide in you, as you ask for whatever you need, and he answers you, and he works that fruit in your life. The man in the desert, parched with thirst, doesn't consider it a chore to drink at the fountain. It's joy, it's life, it's rest, it's refreshment. We ought to approach God's word that way. We have to approach communing with him in prayer that way. God, I need this. I'm so tired. I can't, I can't afford to sit and watch TV. I need to be rested and renewed in God's word. That's counterintuitive. Abiding in Christ is rooted in the word. It's rooted in prayer. But then verses 9 and 10, it's realized in obedience. It's realized in obedience. It actually plays out and is experienced and known not only as we read God's word and pray for, for that word to be working out in us, but walk in actual obedience. Look at verses 9 and 10 here. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Now notice right from the start of chapter 15, um, this is only the second main verb. This is only the second central command, actual command. The first was verse 4, abide in me. The second is here at the end of verse 9, abide in my love. Everything else is just explanatory. How those who abide in Christ will bear fruit. What happens to those who do not bear fruit. The root of how to abide in, in Christ, in his, in his word, and Him leading you in prayer. 
And then he comes back to this first command, abide in me. And he's just, he's just elaborating on it a little more. Abide in my love. Here's how to abide in Christ. Abide in his love. And you abide in his love by keeping his commandments. It's the same way that Jesus abides in his Father's love as he keeps his Father's commandments. Now we need to be careful here. Is abiding in Christ's love the same thing as being loved by Christ? Right? That, that question matters. The implications of this are, are huge. We abide in Christ's love by obeying him. Is that the same thing as saying we are loved by Christ if we obey him? The implication being we are less loved by Christ if we don't obey him. And the answer has to be a resounding no. Absolutely not. There are a number of places throughout Scripture we could go to, to make this point. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. By grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Romans 9, 15. He says to Moses, I will have mercy in whom I have mercy. I will have compassion in whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort, but on him who has mercy. But we don't even have to leave this passage to see it clearly. Jesus started in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. The Father has loved Christ. Christ has loved us. Notice the grammar here. Past tense. This is, in the Greek, is called the perfect tense. It's something that happened in the past, and its implications carry on to today. I have loved you. It's settled. It's done. If you are in Christ, if you're a believer, Jesus is saying, I have loved you as surely, as completely, as specifically and definitely as the Father has loved me. Psalm 139. He knit you together in your mother's womb. Verse 16. Every day of your life was written in his book before one of them even came to be. Ephesians 1.4 he chose you before the foundation of the earth to be holy and blameless in his sight. Galatians 1.15, he sets you apart before you were even born and called you by his grace. He set his love on you irrevocably and effectively in eternity past. That, that will not change, cannot be changed. And of course, the fullness of that love is the cross. That's, that's where he's going with this. We follow his reasoning down through John 15 into verse 13. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's what he's about to do. It's, it's Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus' love expressed in his death on the cross for you personally and specifically does not depend on your obedience. But your abiding in that love does. Your full experience and enjoyment and, and realization of that love does. Jesus says that, that it matters that you, you abide in his love just as he abides in God's love through his obedience. John 8, 29, Jesus says, And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus says, God is with me because I walk in obedience. It's significant. 
Jesus lived the most perfect life, unbroken in his experience of the pleasure and joy of the presence of God. There never was any sin in him to hinder his relationship with the Lord. From the day of his birth until the day of his death, he lived in full view of the smiling face of God. That's why it's so significant on the cross. When Jesus took our sin upon himself and God treated him as a sinner. And Jesus cried out in shock and anguish, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, your sin is dealt with. It's paid for. Psalm 103, 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Romans 8, 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no penalty left for sin. The wrath of God, our, our judgment from God has been completely absorbed on the cross. But that doesn't mean that ongoing sin is without consequence. That it doesn't have a, a negative effect on a relationship with God. Psalm 66 says in verse 18, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I had sin that I was not willing to repent of, then God would not hear my prayers. Husbands, listen to this warning, 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Listen, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So, unrepentant sin, hidden sin. Like that of a husband dishonoring his wife will hinder your prayers. It will put a wedge between you and God at the very place where your relationship should be the closest in your prayer. We, we read this morning in Psalm 24, Who will ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is False. He does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. That's where we want to be, on the hill of the Lord. We want to be in his presence. And we get there that through obedience. As we walk in repentance of sin, as we pull those wedges out. Now again, the penalty for sin is paid. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about the experience of it. We're talking about the fullness of joy in our walk with Him. We're loved by God. And yet, if we are walking in sin, and unrepentant sin, that love has to take a different form. Hebrews 12, verse 6. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It's still love, but it's not the pleasant, full experience of abiding in Christ that we so long for. He's bringing us there, but he brings us there through, through discipline, which Hebrews goes on to say is, is painful, though it produces the blessed fruit of righteousness. The one who says that they're, they're striving to abide in Christ but, but continues on in sin is, is like a man hanging off or a, over a cliff, clinging desperately to a, the branch of a tree and cutting off his own fingers. 
And of course, then the opposite is also true. Jesus says, if you keep my commands, you will abide in my love. Do you want more of Christ? Do you want a a bigger cup to draw from that fountain? Do you want to know what it means to be be satisfied and filled with him, to experience the the joy and the blessing in his presence, to walk closely with him? Then, Then walk in obedience. Remove those wedges that remain. Stop believing the lie that you can continue on in sin and not have it affect your relationship with the Lord. Or that that the joy that you lose with your relationship with Christ will somehow be made up for, will be worth it because of the joy that you'll gain by whatever sin. Yes, your sin is forgiven. No, that does not mean that ongoing sin is, is without cost and effect in our life. It is great cost in our experience of the reality of the love of Christ. Abiding in Christ is realized in our obedience. And notice, these three have a bit of a a cyclical effect, don't they? He he starts off in verse 7. He kind of tips us off. He leaves it open-ended. If you abide in me, he, he presumes that something has happened preceding this, that abiding is already happening. If you abide in me, that grows as we Abide in Christ as his word abides in us and as that forms our prayers and then we have the fruit of obedience. That brings us to closer abiding, which brings us back to the word, to prayer, to obedience, to abiding, to word, prayer, obedience, abide. It's full circle. But it's not just a merry-go-round cycle. It's a spiral, ever circling in closer and closer to the center, every revolution. And what's at the center? What, what motivates this? What's driving this abiding in Christ? What's the, what's the goal of all of this? It's verse 11. Verse 11, Jesus says, These things I've spoken to you, that so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. That's what it's after. Do you hear that? Jesus is telling his disciples, abide in me, rooted in in prayer and the word, realized in obedience, finally, and and running after joy. It's rooted in the word, it's realized in our obedience, and it's running after joy. That's what's at the center of this circle. It's your happiness. Think about that for a second. Jesus, who is God himself, who was there at the creation of the world, is saying, I'm telling you this so that my joy... Now, pause. How happy is Jesus? Seriously, how happy is the all-powerful, all-wise one? I'll tell you, he is all-happy. He is supremely happy. God is the most happy being in the universe. God, and that includes Jesus, does exactly what he wants. He gets exactly what he wants 110% of the time. Job 42.2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Ephesians 1.11 says he works all things according to the purpose of his will. And he is all wise. He knows exactly what it is to want, and he gets it. He's infinitely happy. 
And he's saying here that, that he's telling us these things so that his joy, his perfect, endless, limitless, uncontained joy might be in us. That our joy may be full. The word there is plerao. It's, it's complete. It's abundant. It's, it's overflowing. The goal of God is to make his children happy. Ephesians 2, listen to this, verse 5. Even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, listen, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God's goal is to show the overwhelming, immeasurable riches of his grace to us in kindness to us that will take an eternity to play out. Why? Is this a man-centered thing? Is it all about us? Are we at the center of this? No, we are a happy tool in this process of God's glory. That is the supreme purpose for which God does everything God does to glorify himself, to display his majesty. And the happier we are in him, the more his glory is put on display. The more it shows how wonderful he is as he shows his wonder to us and we stand in awe of it. And that's not just eternity. That starts right here, right now. Abiding in Christ. Being connected to Jesus. Christians ought to be the happiest people on the planet. And I think they are. It's easily overlooked because it's not the happiness that we imagine that it will be. It's not the happiness that we've come to expect and to understand. The world looks in and they, they only understand happiness in terms of, of nice things and an easy life and, and, and a world that makes sense to them. And so when God doesn't give those worldly things... They look in and say, those people aren't happy. How could they be? That, that little church meeting in the basement of, of Burma, how can they be happy? They have nothing. Their lives are in danger. They have no happiness. But God doesn't make us happy in those small, pathetic, temporary, moss and rust destroy things. His goal is to make us happy in himself. And they don't see it. They can't see it. That's why Joel Osteen and, and Joyce Meyer are, are so popular in the eyes of the world and so repulsive to the Lord. Because they try to sell Christianity as if God will make you happy in worldly things. But what is that other than saying that God will replace himself and have you glorify other things? They replace God with stuff, with self-esteem, with the things that this world understands. They make those things into an idol and they pretend that God will help you serve that idol. And the world loves it, but I tell you, God hates it. God's goal is to make us happy in Him, that we would glorify Him. 
Because he is the only truly infinite, everlasting, eternal thing. He's the only thing that will supply that joy that our heart longs for. Everything else runs out. He is the only thing that will satisfy. And in that, he is glorified. So there ought to be. And I would say as a rule, there is this deeply rooted, unshakable, incomprehensible joy in the children of God. But John, I don't have that. Or I have a very little of that. I I get that every now and then, but just in glimpses and then it's gone. Well, take a look at your life. Take a hard look. Is your life rooted in word and prayer? You reading the Bible regularly, thoughtfully, taking in morsels and saying, that's a, that's a promise I need to hang on to. That's an understanding of who God is that I need to work into my mind. Do you spend time in prayer, praying those things back to God? God, help me know you rightly according to this verse. Asking God to work that obedience in you. And then are you walking in that obedience? Is there sin in your life that's hindering your relationship with God, that's cutting you off, that's putting that wedge in there? Are there things that you hold on to, that you, you keep off limits to God? Now, I'll, be a, I'll be a Christian, but this part of my life, that's mine. What I talk about with the guys in the lunchroom, that doesn't count. If your life is not defined by, by living according to the word and prayer and obedience, then, then start doing those things. Start walking that out. Get yourself a cup. Get up to the fountain. Begin to learn to drink. Get on that that spiral cycle of being formed by the word and letting that shape your prayers and having that work out in obedience. But maybe you say, I do. I do all those things. I still don't have that sense of of joy in the Lord that you're talking about. It's just not there. And, and, And that's absolutely possible. And one of the great dangers is that we do all these things and we do them well, but we do them wrong. Think of it like a marriage. It's absolutely possible to do all the right things in marriage and still do it wrong. I brought home the paycheck or I made supper. I didn't want to, but there it is. I did it. I've been faithful to you even though I far rather would have been with so many other people, but I didn't. I was faithful to you. I did it. I really didn't like it, but I said I love you twice a day, every day this week. I did it. Sure, you've you've done the right things, I suppose, but have you? Really? Remember, the goal of abiding in Christ is, is not just getting the cup and putting to your mouth and, and doing all of the right things things. Those are tools. Those are a conduit. The the goal is abiding in Christ. It's drinking from the fountain. It's being with Him. It's a relational love thing. It's not about going through the motions. That's a challenge. I think we get caught up in that real easy. I do. We, We started almost a year ago on this 
reading the Bible through the uh, reading through the Bible in a year plan. I, I try to read the Bible every year, um, just cover to cover. It's about three, four chapters of Old Testament, one in the Psalms, one in the New Testament, and I'm behind. And so my temptation is to sit down and go, I got to get through 12 chapters of the Old Testament today. Go, go, go. Check marked. Got it done. I did it. I got it done. I didn't abide in Christ. I didn't come for that relationship. I didn't feed on him. None of these things are an end on their own. The goal is not to read the Bible a thousand times in my lifetime. But that's a tool. It's a way to connect myself to the fire hydrant that is the fountain of the life of Jesus, this overflowing joy. So we do those things, but with a, with a heart after him, a desire for him. And then remember where we started. Those are physical, practical things, this, this practical side of abiding in Christ, the things that we do. But that's not what abiding in Christ is. It's not natural. It's a supernatural thing. There is also this mystical, spiritual reality to it that you simply do not control. Sometimes you lack that experience of the joy of Christ. It doesn't mean you're failing. It doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It just means for some reason God is withholding that fuller joy, that sense of fullness, and you need to press on. The path there doesn't change. The God that we seek has not changed. He's calling us, come, come further in. Seek me, wait on me, pursue me more. But we continue to pursue the exact same way. Trusting, knowing that he's the God who desires his children have joy in him. And sometimes we don't understand the path that he takes us down to get there. But that's his goal. It's also possible that you're thinking to yourself, I have that joy that he's talking about. It's there, but if I'm honest, I I don't do a lot of that word and prayer thing. And and if I'm really honest, the obedience part is maybe a little bit lacking too. But But I have the joy, I have this great relationship with God. Everything's wonderful between me and God. I just I just don't really read and pray and obey very much. But I have the joy. And I'll tell you, no, you don't. You might think you do. You might be generally happy or at least unbothered by the world around you, but you do not have the joy that Christ offers. If you don't have the word and prayer and obedience active in your life, you're missing it. You're not experiencing the full abundant joy that Christ offers because you're not abiding in his love. Don't, Don't let general happiness and contentment keep you from pursuing the infinitely greater joy in Christ. Come and see. Come and drink deeply at this fountain. Give your life in pursuit of that joy. There's nothing better. There's nothing more worthy of your time, your effort, your absolute devotion and focus. Come, abide in Christ. We want to be a people defined by those that that abide in Christ. He came to give life and life abundant. Let's pray. Father, God, we just confess our our weakness. Lord, we are hungry for you, 
thirsty to drink deeply at the fountain of Christ. Lord, would you, would you open our eyes again to see what you have truly offered, to believe this amazing promise that, that Christ came to give us life and life abundant and that that is there and available for us, that your goal is not that we would be dismal people woefully talking about our obedience and all the things we've done for God, but a people defined by joy, people defined by a, a joy in you that supersedes everything. Lord, help us to see the path there. Lord, remind us that coming to your word is not work. Though it is sometimes difficult, it's where rest and refreshment are found. Help us to be people formed by your word. God, that we would hear your word, that we would read your word, that we would lift from those pages promises that we need, understandings of of who you are commands that we need to obey. God, that we would be people of prayer who are on our knees humbly asking, God, would you, would you do these things in us that our, our prayers would be shaped and formed by those words that you have given us and that you would graciously answer those prayers. And that we would be a people of obedience. Lord, even now I pray for those who, who see that wedge and know it will be painful to remove it. God, give them a vision of your joy on the other side. We might be willing to cut off our right hand if that's what's necessary to to know you more, to walk more closely with you. And God, that we would know the reality of that joy that you offer, a true vibrant, living relationship with you. Lord, that we would be a gathering of people defined by abiding in Christ. I pray in Jesus' name.